Welcome to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. My name's Chris, and this is episode 17. Hello, and welcome back to The Kick in the Cast. Well, the season's finally starting to take a turn now. Up here in Calgary, we've had a couple of snowfalls, and it doesn't look like it's going anywhere anytime soon. That being said, if there's one thing living here has taught me, it's to always take the weather forecasts with a huge grain of salt. I think Mother Nature likes to beta test her seasonal changes here before unleashing them on the world. For all I know, it could be 30 above by Friday. This week, I've got chapter 16 of Outcast on deck for you, and this is going to be the first of several chapters where I'm going to put a content warning up. This chapter contains scenes of consensual, intimate relations between two adult beings. Now, it's not explicitly described, but there's enough allusion there that I know you'll get the idea. But with that said, let's get into Chapter 16 of Outcast. Outcast, a novel, written and read by Chris Fitzton. Chapter 16 I'd always thought my coming of age would be a celebration involving my clan, Shiana's clan, and any number of our family friends attending a huge party at the estate. There would be dinner, drinks, dancing, and smiles all around. It would end with the formal announcement of mine and Shiana's upcoming nuptials, and after that she and I would no doubt have a long talk about the future. Right up until the night of the attack, I was convinced that she was the only one for me. Sure, our marriage was predetermined thanks to our elders, but I can honestly say that I had been completely in love with her. If the gods or patrons were watching me now, no doubt they were having a good laugh at my misfortune. Instead of my adulthood ringing in with pomp and circumstance, it passed quietly with me ending it with a long walk. No cheers, no fireworks, and not even a kiss from either of the girls I loved. Just me putting one foot in front of the other. Thankfully, the walk did precisely what I hoped it would. It wore me out physically. Unfortunately, it did nothing for the thoughts still dancing in my head. I was at the point of accepting the fact that Taki would no longer be there when I arrived, but part of my mind refused to acknowledge it. It wanted so desperately to cling to that faint hope that she would still be there waiting. I knew it was a fantasy. But no matter how certain I was, part of me wouldn't believe it until I got there. At least then, when I finally confirmed that she was gone, I'd be too tired to dwell on it and just slip into the realm of unconsciousness. I should have learned more about her, but my growing feelings for her overruled my common sense. We never really talked about life in Tanaya or discussed religious beliefs and differences. Hells, I didn't even know the name of her tribe or what it was like to live as a nomad. I knew so little about her, and then I dropped the Lautari training on her. How stupid could I be? Stupid enough to lose her. That's how stupid. I only hoped that she finished the Theris fever treatment. I'd rest a bit easier knowing that she would still be alive wherever she ended up. 
The last thing I needed was to hear that someone else found her, the affliction having run its course. Plus, if she ended up bolting right after I left, I could add it to one more thing I royally screwed up for her. I'd never forgive myself if that was the case. I may not have deserved her, but she deserved to live. Finally, my dwelling came into view. Night had fully fallen by this time, and only the moon and stars offered any light for my eyes. As I suspected, the dwelling was dark. I could see no form of light coming through the windows, and I couldn't smell any wood smoke from the fireplace. That last desperate spark of hope that wouldn't let go was starting to now. There was no one there. I was alone. With a final sigh, I approached the door and twisted the knob, ready to transition from one blackness to another. The sight that greeted my eyes nearly made me fall over. Where I expected only darkness, a golden light bathed the inside of the dwelling, courtesy of several candles scattered throughout. I glanced at where I knew the windows to be, only to see some makeshift curtains covering them. There was still no fire in the fireplace, but I saw the wood already arranged, ready to be lit. I blinked several times, convinced I'd finally taken leave of my senses. Were my eyes now trying to compensate for how lonely I was feeling? Maybe, but no matter what I did to try to dispel the illusion before me, it was still there. There was a new addition to the dwelling as well, a small dining set including a table and four chairs. It wasn't much, but it would make eating a far sight more comfortable. Atop the table, positioned on opposite sides, was what looked like a container of some sort. Three lit candles graced the table, as well as a bottle of wine and two glasses. I blinked. Was this all a dream? What was going on? Welcome home. I spun on my heel towards the voice. My mind was still trying to process all of this, so when I beheld the vision of Tiki standing there, dressed in a black silk dress, I didn't react right away. I was still trying to wrap my head around all of it as she walked towards me. It wasn't until she craned her neck up and kissed me tenderly that everything finally registered. Everything made sense, but at the same time, it didn't. My mat and knapsack hit the ground and I swept my darling cougar into my arms. She giggled but held me just as tightly as our muzzles locked together. I held her as tightly as I dared, afraid that if I let her go, she would fade away and I would truly be alone. I thought you were gone, I choked, barely able to speak as the kiss broke. After what I said, I... Shh, she soothed, putting a finger to my lips. She guided me over to the table and bid me to sit. Looking more closely, I could see that the containers were in fact heating pods. They used a type of chemical reaction in the lining to help keep things inside warm for a time. Again, the military first pioneered this technology, but it wasn't too long before these devices became a commercial success. I sat down and waited for Teki to do the same before opening the pod. The aroma of a perfectly cooked Tuaro steak filled my nostrils and nearly made me cry. After so long eating marginally nutritious camp meals, wild fruit, and drinking nothing but water, I was convinced I'd somehow died and wound up in paradise. Teki giggled at my reaction to the food, but when she opened her pod, her reaction was no different. Your grandfather brought all of this down earlier today, she said. 
along with everything else here. He wanted to make sure your coming of age was the best it could be, given the circumstances. Just you still being here is more than I could have hoped for, I admitted, reaching for the wine. The label said it was from the Whispering Winds clan, a bobcat clan several kilometers to the west of us. Their wines were world-renowned, as well as a popular export from Bengalis. There were rumors that when the Confederation High Command held any diplomatic function, the wine served came from that very clan. I poured us each a glass before putting the bottle back down. The wine was a blush color, just like I remembered. The bottle must have come from Grandfather's private stock. At that moment, I reminded myself to someday repay him in kind for still considering me worthy of such a thing especially when everyone else had turned their backs on me. Happy birthday, said Tiki, raising her glass. I did the same. We clinked them together and each took a sip of the wine. The taste of it made my ears tingle. I'd drunk it before, but it also had been over a year since I had. I'd also been drinking nothing but water for the past two weeks, so having something different was a shock to my palate. There wasn't much alcohol in the wine, but given my lack of recent exposure, even that small sip was enough to make me feel lightheaded. Thank you, I said. We picked up our cutlery and tried our best to eat like civilized folk. <laughs> Easier said than done. I moaned through my first few bites, making sure each of my teeth got a chance to chew each piece before finally swallowing. It had been so very, very long since I'd had anything so delicious. People who talk about dining as an experience or a pleasure must have been talking about a meal like this. This was no mere means to sustain oneself. This was art. This was a masterpiece of culinary effort. Up to that point, I couldn't think of anything that had brought me more pleasure. Well, almost. We ate in silence for what felt like forever. I began to feel full and noticed close to half my meal was still there. I decided to slow down a bit, not wanting to make myself sick. Tiki seemed to notice this, and she too paused. Beats the stew at the warehouse, she said, taking a sip of wine. And you used to eat like this all the time? Not really, I said. Atuaro steaks were more a special occasion kind of food. At least once prepared like this, I took another bite. I mean, sure, we'd have burgers or other dishes made from Tuaro meat. But for Grandfather to make a meal like this, it meant something big. Can't think of anything bigger than one's coming of age, she said. She went silent again, and the look on her face seemed to transform before my eyes. What started as a happy, almost cheerful look seemed to darken in the expanse of a few moments. Even her eyes, which seemingly glowed like a pair of jewels in the candlelight, seemed to dull. I tensed. Is everything all right? I asked. You wanted to know why I stayed, she finally said, her voice now timid. I nodded. I thought when I told you what I was training to become, I'd scared you off, I said. I should have said something sooner to keep, but I was scared that if I did, you'd up and leave before the treatment was done. Was that all you were concerned about? Was it possible for someone to make an audible smirk? I nearly choked on my next bite when she said that. Damn, she got me. It never occurred to me that I would end up having this discussion with her. Hells, until I opened that door, 
I was convinced that whatever we had was over, and that I'd never have to talk about or analyze it. I took a decent sip of my wine and looked at her. Her eyes weren't cold like they used to be, but they did look serious. No, I started. That wasn't all I was worried about. I was selfish. I wanted to draw out what we had for as long as I could because I didn't know if you were going to stay. I mean, that first week, my only concern was that you'd be well again. But then, well, things changed. They did, she said with a smile. And did you think I'd leave just like that? My ears drooped. Dallin, how do the clans here view the Beast Walkers? Not very well, I admitted. Bad enough I'm an exile, but if anyone found out about this, I'd expect nothing less than an army of crusaders to come bashing down the door. Her serious expression broke and she giggled. Is it different in Tanaya? She nodded. The beast walkers of the plains are considered the shepherds of the land. We never see them, but we know they're out there. Sometimes, late at night, I used to hear them hunting. I'd hear a growl or a roar, followed by the sound of some small animal dying. When I was a kitten, those sounds would scare me, but Mother always said it was a good sound. It meant we were blessed. Our chiefs always told us to respect the laws of the land, she continued, or else the beast walkers would punish us. We should never take from the land more than we need, and we always give back if we had more than we should. She finished her wine and paused in her story as I refilled her glass. She took another long pull before she continued. When you told me, I was shocked at first. I'm sorry I shut down the way I did, Dallin. I didn't mean to. It's just that after living with those legends for so long, and then meeting one, I was bracing myself. I thought you were going to kill me. What? The high priest of the ten tribes cursed me when I was exiled, she said. Her voice was heavy with shame. I clasped her free hand in mine and squeezed gently. You might think it's stupid, but it hasn't been easy for me since then. It was enough for me to believe in that curse. At first, I thought I could just start over away from the tribes, but that's not quite what happened. I squeezed her hand again. I could tell that she was getting uncomfortable talking about her exile. I remembered what I thought about during the retreat, about learning about other people's exile stories. As much as I wanted to know, I was not going to insist on it. If she was still uncomfortable about it, then I wouldn't ask. When you told me about what you were, I figured the gods finally decided that I'd lived long enough. What do you mean? I asked. Your clans believe the Beast Walkers to be evil, but among the tribes it's the opposite. She squeezed my hand back. Among my people, we believe that the Beast Walkers were charged by the gods to watch over the tribes, she explained. So when one is cursed, legends say they are sent to... to... She picked up her glass and I could see it was shaking. She drained what was left and took a few deep breaths before continuing. I always told myself that if the curse finally claimed me, then I would face it bravely. Like how you said you kept your eyes on your father when he... She touched her chest to indicate where father had slashed me. I wouldn't beg if it was my time. Suddenly, her cold attitude toward me made sense. 
She was stealing herself for what she thought was the end. I wanted to insist that I would never do that, but the fact that she was sitting across from me, letting me hold her hand, made that comment irrelevant. I guess I really handled all this badly, I admitted, taking my hand away. I'm sorry, Tiki. I should have said something sooner, or asked you more about the tribes, or... Hey, she interrupted, still smiling. Don't beat yourself up about it, Dallin. You had a lot on your mind these past two weeks. And we've both had, well, other things on our mind when we were together. I could feel my ears growing warm again, and not from the wine. But I'm here now. I nodded and returned her smile. We got back to our meals, and we talked about how we each spent the last three days. While I was getting my body and soul torn apart, she was trying to process why she was still alive after coming face to face with what she must have thought was her executioner. However, she reasoned that if I'd intended to kill her, I wouldn't have tried to cure her of Theris fever. In fact, I never would have taken her in at all. When Grandfather came asking for me, she'd covered by saying I was working overtime at the docks. This came as a relief to him, since he was then able to plan out the furniture, the meal, and everything else for my coming of age. She said that she never asked where the dining set came from. I just assumed he must have contacted the Foundation for help. As for the dinner, that had been just perfect timing on my part. She had just lit the candles and set the pods to heat when I opened that door. For that, I was thankful. I'd hate to think of her sitting at the table, staring at the pod while the candles burned away to nothing. It would have been a perfect romantic comedy scene. We finally finished our meals and the wine. I started clearing off the table while Tiki suddenly disappeared into the darkness behind the candles. Moments later, soft music filled the air. When she reappeared, she walked straight towards me and held out her hand. Wordlessly, I accepted her invitation and took it. I followed her to the center of the dwelling, which still glowed from the candlelight. We held each other close, arms wrapped tightly around each other as we slowly swayed to the music. I felt her muzzle tuck into my neck, and I moved one hand up to gently scritch behind her ears, something I learned she enjoyed. There's something else, Dallin, she said as we moved. Something else I need to tell you. Regretfully, she pulled away, but just enough so that I could see her face. I was amazed at how much she could say with just her eyes. They now radiated what I could only describe as nervous hope. I watched as she bit her lower lip, a sure sign that what she was about to say was not going to be a comfortable thing. What is it? I asked. Before I answer, she said, there's something I need to know from you. I cocked my head to one side. All this past week, I... I wasn't always completely asleep. And I heard you. I heard you say it. Say it? What did she... Oh, gods, no. My heart began to race, and my ears felt hot from the humiliation that was settling in. It wasn't until I saw her slight smirk that I began to relax, if only a little. Tiki, I said, I, well, that is, I... She craned her neck up and gave me a small kiss on the cheek. It's okay, she said softly. Just tell me, did you mean it? I gritted my teeth, closed my eyes, 
and nodded. After that, the words just started pouring out. I can't explain it, I said. I mean, at first you were just a patient to me, and my only goal was to get you back on your feet. So what changed? she asked. That night when you came out to see if I was all right, remember? I said. The night I learned your name, I started to feel, well, comfortable around you. Suddenly coming back here after a day's work or a practice session didn't seem so bad anymore. If anything, it was something to look forward to. I never realized how lonely I'd been until I finally had someone to talk to. I took another deep breath. But it was when we kissed in the woods that it all fell into place, I said. Suddenly, everything became crystal clear to me. I'd never felt anything like this with anyone before, not even Shiana. Who? Oh, um, how distracted had I been this past week that I didn't even tell her about... Wait, forget I said that. Shiana's someone from another clan, I explained. We were actually betrothed to each other before my exile. Taki looked surprised. An arranged marriage? I nodded. Did you even meet her before? We were best friends growing up, I said. I loved her, but whatever feelings I had for her are nothing compared to what I feel for you, Taki. All the time I was away, all I could think of was how empty my life would be if you'd left. I had visions of myself becoming one of those soulless walking corpses at the warehouse, having nothing to live for. I ran a hand over her cheek, which she nuzzled slightly. I should have told you sooner, Taki. I was just too scared that you'd think I was some kid overdosed on his hormones. But yes, you asked if I meant it, and I do. I love you, Taki. Pure, plain, and simple. I love you. In the back of my mind, I was envisioning her suddenly feeling smothered and wanting to pull away from me. After all, didn't every romantic comedy written have this scenario? Boy meets girl, boy falls in love, girl freaks out and needs some time to process. However, when I felt her hand around the back of my neck and felt her pulling me towards her waiting lips, I realized that this was no script. I pulled her tightly to me, and we shared yet another long, passionate kiss. It felt like the temperature in the place had gone up tenfold. When we finally came up for air, she gazed into my eyes. From the moment I saw you, she said, I knew there was something different. Maybe it was that you were a new exile, but something told me that you were somehow important to me. Then why, I told you once, it's hard for me to trust people, she said. Especially when everyone you've met wants something from you. There was more to that statement than she was letting on. Part of me wanted to pursue it further, but as she continued, I ignored that gut feeling. Even though I had that feeling, the usual barriers went up, she tried to explain. But this past week has allowed me to let those barriers fall, Dallin. They fell and let me realize the truth. And the truth is, I love you too. I couldn't believe she said it, even though I had a hunch it was coming. When she admitted she loved me, it still made most of my fur feel like it was now standing on end. She smiled up at me, and I saw a single tear begin to fall from her eye. Slowly, I brought my hand up and wiped it away before cupping her lovely face. I leaned forward, this time slowly, 
and kissed her tenderly. We melted back into our embrace, letting our bodies move and sway to the music. Had the night ended merely like that, I would have been more than satisfied. All the thoughts I had before about celebrating my coming of age now felt shallow to me. Even those thoughts I had about Shiana paled when compared to what I was feeling at that moment. That moment was real. Tiki was real. The cougar in my arms was the most real thing I knew, and I wouldn't have traded that moment for anything. The music soon faded away, and I realized that our dancing had led us over to where we'd set up our makeshift bed, though it was one match short. I hadn't had the chance to set mine back up. Tiki kissed me again, this time with the same fiery passion as before. Her hands began moving towards my hips, gripping my shirt and slowly untucking it. I was surprised at her movements, but I made no move to stop her. Instead, I continued to run my hands over her silk-clad back, realizing to my surprise that beneath her dress was little else. We disentangled ourselves just long enough for her to pull my shirt up over my head, at which point she buried her muzzle in my chest. I could hear and feel her breathing in my scent deeply, and with each successive breath her purrs grew louder and deeper. Her hands moved again, this time to the belt keeping my jeans on. Again, I made no move to stop her as she deftly undid the buckle. My jeans slid to the floor, the buckle making a slight thump as it hit. I stepped out of them, and we sunk to our knees on her mat. Our muzzles never separated, and our hands never stopped their explorations. Before long, I found myself on my back with her atop me. Hesitantly, I began to pull at her dress, still unsure if this was the right thing to do. She moaned slightly as she felt the silk begin to move over her body, but she made no move to stop me. Before long, my hands were soon touching places that until that night had only felt through the obstruction of clothing. She broke the kiss and adjusted herself until she was kneeling atop me. With a smile on her muzzle, she finished the job my hands had started and pulled the dress up over her head. Everything I'd imagined about what she would look like hadn't even come close to the reality over which my eyes now danced. Happy birthday, lover, she said softly before settling atop me once more. After that, everything became a blur of lust and sensation. Lips, tongues, fingers, and claws traveled over our bodies, probing, exploring, bringing us ever closer to the pinnacle of passion, but always stopping before it overtook us completely. We teased each other to the point that moans were becoming growls, and what were once light pricks with our budding claws were now becoming more aggressive as we slowly surrendered to our primal natures. She finally rolled me onto my back once more and straddled me. Her eyes seemingly glowed with lust as her hands held me up. Our bodies touched in the most intimate of ways, and as she slowly descended, it was everything I could do not to end it prematurely. Every fantasy I'd ever had of Shiana and I on our wedding night didn't come close to what I felt at that moment. She collapsed atop me and kissed me once more. We began moving to some unconscious, primal rhythm, our bodies moving in perfect time with each other. Growls of pleasure now turned to moans and mules of dripping lust as we carefully balanced the ever-impending need for release with the want to prolong what we were both experiencing. The need soon won out and with a roar we each reached that pinnacle of pleasure. I exploded into her and she gripped me tightly, coaxing everything she could out of me.
Our bodies convulsed and spasmed wildly as we rode out each successive wave of passion. Her claws dug deep into my shoulders, but the pain only seemed to heighten what I was feeling. In truth, she could have eviscerated me at that moment, and I wouldn't have cared. After what felt like an eternity, the spasming stopped. What had started as near convulsions in my darling Tiki now turned into light quivers as she settled down atop me. At that moment, neither of us were in any condition to do more than lie there and bask in the afterglow. I wrapped my arms around her and felt her purr softly. In between her purring, I could hear her whisper something in another language. I made a mental note to ask her about it later on once my head stopped spinning. She eventually slid off me and snuggled up to my side. I remained on my back, and even as I heard her fall asleep, I remained awake. Now satiated in body, my mind seemed to open. I was experiencing a sense of clarity unlike anything I'd ever felt before. It wasn't like a holy revelation or anything. It was just a feeling like, for the first time in ages, I was able to think clearly. Maybe it was the afterglow, but as I stared at the ceiling of my dwelling in the dimming candlelight, I began to think about the choices I'd made up to this point. I'd been so quick to jump at Cross's offer to learn the ways of the Lautari. I didn't regret it, but now that Teki and I were together, I wondered if regaining my honor was the best path to take. Wherever the Kalpak ended up, pursuing it would lead me to some dark places in Mingalan society. If people learned of me, they would learn of her. Would I be strong enough to protect her? Was regaining my honor worth risking her life? I sighed softly. Just like one night of pain changed my entire life, one night of love changed it even more. The training and its goal, my family, came back into question. Krasa's warning about focus came to the forefront of my thoughts once more. My quest was for family. That hadn't changed. However, those doubts I had during that second night rose once more. If Krasa suspected that I was having doubts again, I shuddered to think what he would do. Despite what happened between Taki and I, I still wanted to finish my training. I wanted to become one of those beings that she said her tribe revered. I wanted to be her protector. I wanted to be her guardian. I loved her as if she was... as if she was family. I smiled as the realization sunk in. My quest was for family, and now Teki was that family. For my freedom and for hers, I would fight. The Kalpak could wait if going after it meant putting her in danger. Honor and status meant nothing anymore. All that mattered was keeping this wonderful, loving cougar in my arms safe from harm. For that, for her, I would train. I would learn. I would grow. In the end, I would make sure that wherever our lives took us, I would be there for her. My eyes finally closed with that smile still on my muzzle. My mind felt completely at peace for the first time since this whole exile began. I finally had a reason to put myself through all of this. Unlike the lofty goal of regaining my family honor, I now had something more tangible to fight for. That reason was snuggled up against me, purring softly as she slept. Tiki was now my reason to continue. I had to protect her.
no matter the cost. And that's our story. When I first aired this scene, I remembered using a Podsafe music track in the background to help set the mood. Looking back, I realized that I used a lot of sound effects or ambient sounds in the original broadcasting of this book. These days, though, I've been listening to a fair share of audiobooks, and I see now that such a thing isn't really the norm for most releases. Still, the music track was part of an album I found on the old Podsafe Music Network, which I've held onto for a long time. I actually found the track on YouTube, so I'll be including the link to it in the show notes for this episode. As far as writing went this week, I've been converting the outlines I have into full chapters now. Now that I have a better idea of how a lot of these pieces are going to fit together, writing something both coherent and contiguous is a lot easier. Looking at the amount of content I have left that's ready to record, I'm starting to see the impending end of this version of Outcast, which means I'd better have something ready to go on and soon. <laughs> no pressure, huh? Yeah, right. Anyways, I think I'll end it here for now. As always, thank you for tuning in, and if you'd like to leave some feedback, you can email me at outcastnovel at gmail.com or leave an audio feedback via the SpeakPipe app at kickit.yo5.ca. So until next time, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and above all, have a good week. This is Chris, signing out. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to The Kick in the Cast, the audio blog of a wannabe podcast novelist. For more information, please visit the show's website at kickit.yo5.ca. And to leave any feedback, please feel free to drop an email at outcastnovel at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and hope to see you next time. <laughs>